It's going to be a good day. Merry Christmas. Anybody, anybody happy that it's Christmas time and the lights are out and New Year's coming? Anybody ready to get 2020 behind you? <laughs> Find something that everybody loves, and that's a no-brainer right there. Get 2020 even so far out in the rearview mirror that it's not even in the rearview mirror, you know? I was thinking about that as I was driving in and my windshield was frozen, you know, because I park outside and it's cold. And so I'm driving and I can't see out my windshield and it's, it's, I can't, I can't sit there and wait for five minutes. So I just do this number. Anybody? Yeah. And so, and so I'm looking in, the, I could see through, through this mirror and my rear view and you know, that, that thing like objects in the mirror are closer than they appear, right? And I was thinking about that in terms of the year that we just went through. It's, it's December 27th. This is the last Sunday of 2020. But objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. And some of you today, including myself, we're running as fast as we can until we can't see those objects in the rearview mirror. Some of you had a rough year. Some of you have been through, all of us to some degree have been through a rough year, but some of you have really had a rough year. And you're trying to, as, as my grandfather used to say, hightail it out of here so that the objects in the mirror, even though they're closer than they appear, you couldn't actually see them. And today, interestingly enough, God has put a word on my heart that it's time for a U-turn. It ain't going to be real popular, but that's where we're going. In a season where we're trying to get out of here, I believe that it's time for a U-turn because I believe that God is preparing us for revival. And I know that revival starts in humility and repentance. And here's what I know about repentance. It's turning around and going in the other direction. So there's things to be remembered. There's things to be forgotten. But there's things to be remembered. And what God has spoken is what we look to and what we remember. And we're going to look at that today. But I want to encourage you from the top that we're, we're going to make a U-turn. And it may not be what you're thinking right now. But by the end of this, I pray that it's clear. If you have your Bible, go with me to Revelation 3. Hello. <laughs> Revelation 3. That's where we're going to get started right here. Revelation 3, verses 1 through 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of Jesus through John, the apostle. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus says to the church in Sardis, I know your works. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. 
You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Jesus speaking to the church in Sardis. I want you to get this picture. The messenger would read this letter to the church. They're going about their day as normal. They feel pretty good about their church. They feel pretty good about themselves. They feel pretty good about their doctrine. They don't have a lot of false teaching going on like some of the other churches in Revelation. And they're sitting there, hunky-dory, normal day. And the angel comes, the messenger comes, and reads this letter from Jesus. And they're kind of like on the edge of their seat. Our risen king has a message for us. And he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I know your works. So, so they have some, some good doctrine, but not a lot of obedience. And Jesus comes in real strong. He says, wake up. Wake up. Twenty twenty, man. New year, new beginnings. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. We got goals. We got, we got things that we're headed to. New year, new beginnings. You've been sitting at home. Some of you have been sitting at home for a long time, and you're the reason why Home Depot is up year-to-date 24% in their sales. Did you know that? It's crazy. That's a hundred and it's going to be $130 billion this year for Home Depot. Side note, it's a lot of money. Anybody contributed to that? I have. Okay. Yeah. Some, some level playing field. New year, new beginnings. What's coming? What, what are our goals? What are we looking forward to? A lot of times I think we're just trying to get away from what we just came from. And then I hear this a lot. It's, it's, 2021 is inevitably going to be better than 2020. I mean, we just got to get out of this and get to that because it's, it's going to be better. It's inevitable. Inevitable is not a strategy. And what I know to be true is that the new beginnings that you have on your list or in your heart that you're looking towards are not gonna be good beginnings unless they begin and end with Jesus on the throne of your heart. And so that's where we're going today. We need revival. And it starts individually. And the Lord wrecked me about this for myself, for my family, because the sentiment is great. 2021, new beginnings. Get out of 2020. That's a great sentiment. But what are we starting with? What are we building on? Who is on the throne of our hearts today? Let's get back to reality. What we've been through has been hard. And what we're going to, we hope is going to be better. But we don't just have to hope whimsically when our hope and our trust is firmly planted on the person and the work of Jesus. I believe that God is preparing us for revival. How do you know that? Because we're in a storm. We're in testing. We're, we're being tempted right now. Tempted by comfort like crazy. Tempted with, with the, the potential of uh, man, you can do anything from home now, you know? And then now we're so sick of being home, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Being tested 
What do we do with our family for Christmas? How do we make sure that we do this right and do this right? And, and it's a storm. Your head is all over the place. God is preparing us for something. God is stirring us in, in, in the deepest parts. He's, he's throwing things around, around us so that the storm is raging. And I believe today that he is in the boat laying down with you if you're in Christ. Get that picture. When you're doing this, he is laying down, reclined, on the throne, in control. But the question today, because he's on the throne in heaven and the offer is for him to be on the throne of your heart, but the question today is who and what is on the throne of your heart? Who is in control? We will come out of this season either prepared or destroyed. And the reality of, the, of that dichotomy is dependent upon who is on the throne of your heart. This can be a season of preparation. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. I had, I had two bookmarks at one point in time, and now it has eluded me. Matthew chapter 13, if you have your Bible, go there with me. This is a, a popular parable. I want to read it together. So the disciples were discouraged because they've been going from town to town. They've been walking, they've been sharing with all these people and they keep meeting rejection after rejection after rejection. Why is no one listening? Why is no one hearing? Why is no one receiving this truth and doing something about it? And Jesus encourages them with a parable like he so often does. That same day, Matthew 13, 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Somebody say soil. It's a funny word, isn't it? If you say it like 12 times, it gets funnier. Soil, it's important. I wanted you to say that because it's important. We're coming back to that. They didn't have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The parable of the sower. Some seeds fell on the path that had been beaten down. And the birds came and instantly devoured them. Some seeds fell on rocky ground and they couldn't produce anything. Some seeds fell on, on shallow soil and it produced seed immediately. It produced plants immediately, but then the sun scorched it out. 
Other seeds fell on thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And, and then some seeds fell on good soil, and these were the ones that produced grain. What is he saying? What can we take from this parable today? There's one question that I want to ask from this parable today. How is your soil? How's your soil? Because the point of this, Jesus is teaching. Remember, he's encouraging. There's nothing wrong with the seed. It's not the bird's fault. It's not the thorns. It's not the elements. It's not the virus. How's the soil? It's not the seed that's the problem because the seed is the word of God. That's what this is about. The, the seed is the word of God. There's nothing wrong with the word of God. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and is powerful and, and will accomplish that for which it is sent. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is strong to save. This seed is life transforming. There's nothing wrong with the seed, but there is something wrong with the soil. How's your soil today? How's your soil today? I think a lot of times we get so distant from God that we begin to convince ourselves that it's his seed that's the problem. Or the, the leaders that should be teaching better. Praise God it doesn't depend on that. It's the soil. How? is your soil. The church in Sardis needed a soil check. They needed a soil check. They needed revival. How do we know that? Because Jesus told them to wake up. Whew. You know, imagine. Wake up. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Good reputation. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to have a good reputation, but it's a work, worthless thing in the end unless it's the real thing. Jesus said, you have a good reputation. You have good doctrine. You teach well over there in Sardis. Facebook looks good. Instagram and Twitter, all the things, they look good. Christmas card was great this year. Y'all really looked holy in that picture. You have the appearance of being alive. People think you're alive. People think you're thriving. People think you got it all together. But you are dead. That's what Jesus said to the church in Sardis. Wake up. I know your works. Wake up. You may have a good rep and you may have everybody fooled, but I know who you are. Wake up. You may even have yourself fooled thinking that this one time a week Christianity is going to do something for your soul. Wake up. You don't have me fooled. I know who you are, Jesus said. 
He said, you need revival. So then he lays it out as clear as ever. He says, remember then, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. There's three verbs that we're gonna focus on right here in the rest of our time together. How can we find revival? How's your soil? All these questions that I'm asking you, how can we get to 2021 and seek this revival that God is preparing us for? Three verbs, remember, keep, and repent. Start from the top. Remember, he says, remember what you have received and heard. That word remember means to call to mind, to call to memory to hold in remembrance and make mention of it. It's, it's, it's like knowing something, remembering something so well that you can call it to memory, right? Anybody use flashcards when they studied for tests? Way back in the day for some of you, no? This is a, for those of you that are still in school, this is an awesome excuse to get a date with the female or the male that you're interested in. I need help studying. Could you come hold the flashcards? Mark knows what I'm talking about. Ain't been that long, Mark. I did this with Kaylin a few times. Can you hold the flashcards, babe? I mean, I'm just not disciplined enough to keep it turned over long, you know, to really test myself. I need your help, you know? She's like, I got other things to study for. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to study you, you know, like, (laughs) get back to the point. Okay, good. To call to memory, remember, study enough to call it to memory. Jesus says, remember what, what you've received and heard. Remember my word. Remember my promises. Remember what I've done and what I've said I'm going to do. Remember it, recall it to memory, hold it close enough to know it. Remember. There are things to be remembered and there are things to be forgotten. If you're in this room and you're saying, I can't wait to forget all about 2020, I want to encourage you today. There are things to forget, but there are also things to remember. What has God been saying? What has God been teaching you? Journaling is not just for the women, you know? This is really good for the soul to go back and remember not all the gossip and all the, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what God spoke and what God did because we so easily forget and we have to call it to memory. Don't put your journal on the flashcards, you know, for the girl of your dreams to read to you. But... Man, that was really funny in my head. I'll keep it in my pocket. (laughs) There are things to be remembered. There are things to be forgotten. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, second half of verse 13, Paul said, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the call for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God is calling us higher. He has has something in store for us. 
Paul says, I'm forgetting what lies behind that is holding me back from getting there. But I strain forward to what he said and what he's doing. I strain forward. I remember what he's done. And as I remember, I strain forward. There's a good way to strain forward. There's a good way to remember. There are things to be forgotten, yes, but there are things to be remembered. Remember God's word. Lean on it as you press on toward his goal, his high calling in Christ Jesus. What has God been speaking? What has God spoken? How does it line up with the word? What does the word say? Remember it. And then he says, keep it. Keep it. Second verb, keep. Keep what you have received and heard. Remember it and keep it. Similar verbs, but meaning subtly different things. And I love this. Just go with me. I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff. Keep means to maintain, to guard, to observe. Keep it. Hold it close. Guard it. Observe it. Watch over it. That's what this word means. Rory, my youngest, she has, she must have 44 baby dolls right now, especially after Christmas. My goodness. They're everywhere in the house. And when it's time to go to bed, she wants one or two. And it's always different. Equal opportunity in the baby doll category. And she knows exactly what she wants. And she knows exactly where it is. Baby, baby, baby. You know, that's all she says. She points and she says, baby. And I'm taking her around. I'm like, this one, nope, this one, nope, this one, nope. What about these 15? (laughs) Yep, but it's under there, you know. After I've tried 16, I find the one that she wants. I give it to her and she holds it like this, you know, cuddles it. Keep, guard, watch over. Maintain, guard what you have received and heard. Hold it close. Don't let it stray from your mind. Don't let your life stray from it. Don't, don't let your life stray from what you've received and heard. Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's very real cause and effect and that's beautiful. We make it so complicated. Store up Your word in my heart, that so that because so that I might not sin against you. You want to keep struggling in your sin? Don't store up the word in your heart. But when it's stored up in there, when we're keeping it, when we're observing it, when we're holding it close like that baby doll, we knew exactly where it was. We went for it. We stored it up. We kept it. We remembered it. It's going to be really hard to keep sinning because the word is living and active and it's tearing apart the darkness in our hearts when we store it in there. I don't feel God today. Are you storing up his word? 
Are you storing up his word? Are you keeping it? Are you guarding it? Are you treasuring it like it's your supreme treasure and satisfaction? This is to me. Sorry, I'm not yelling at you. Yelling at me. Psalm 73, 23 and 26 through 26. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. May it be true. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Treasure it. Treasure his word. Treasure his presence. It is your supreme satisfaction. It is your portion forever. And it is so easily traded for petty and weak things to take the place of the promise keeper. And then he says, remember what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. Repent. Repent, he says, to to turn around. To literally be going in a direction to experience something so life-changing that you turn around, you turn, not slight course correction, not subtly accommodating for this life and that life. This is so powerful that I cannot keep going in this direction anymore. I know it's wrong. I know it's not as good. I know life is not this way now because I've seen life. I've felt life. I've experienced life. Taste and see that the Lord is good to the point where you turn around, repent. And as much as I wish that was a one-time thing and it was all smooth sailing from there, that is the wrestling of a Christian. Not in a penance kind of way. Not in a let me repent so that I can receive mercy and I can receive salvation every day because I need to do that in a penance type of way. No, it's a repent and believe, turning to him. Salvation's secure, but I've got to do more than a course correction right now because my life is going in the wrong direction. And it could be in several different ways. And it could be so subtle that you feel like it doesn't take a U-turn. But I'm feeling it real convicted like that there are things in this room that cannot be course corrected. There are things in our lives that we have let build up in this season that we've been in. And it's time to stop worrying about why they're built up and making justification for why they're in your life. And it's time to recognize that they're leading you to destruction. And it's not going to take two degrees to get away from that destruction. It's going to take a U-turn to turn around, repent, to change one's mind or purpose is the definition. I love this. It comes from two words in the Greek, meta and noio. 
something like that. Meta means changed after being with. And the second word, noyo, means think. This is really cool. Literally, it means to think differently after being with something or someone. To think differently, like to think in a, in a total different way, in a turned around type of way, after experiencing something or someone. Have you ever experienced that? Like you've been with somebody or you've done something or you've had this situation, this experience, and you walk away and you're, you, you just think differently. This is literally what we're talking about. It's, this is what it is to repent. Changed so deeply that you think differently afterwards. And then those thoughts drive your behavior. This is not a passive thing that just so happens to you. We have way too many people, Christians, people that call themselves Christians in this world that are passively going about the struggle and expecting things to just happen. Uh, what do I want to read today? You know, oh, let's read this. What? What are we doing? What are we doing? We're in a storm. We're in a war. Like this is all around us. Are we not preparing for the battle? This isn't a passive thing. It doesn't work that way. We come here every week. And it looks good. And it's online now. Good rep. But are we alive? Repentance is work. It's, it's hard. It's an active posture. Active posture of surrendering to God. This is the first thing that we run from. It's the first thing I run from. Because I would rather it just be like that, you know? Or it to have already happened and now it'll just work itself out. And I, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, maybe this isn't so bad. But this work, the work of repentance is an active posture and it's surrendering to God because he's Lord of all and he has a better way. Do we believe that? It's the question. Do you believe that? Because repentance is not a speed bump or a subtle course correction or a pit stop rest for a second and then back on the path of church once a week. Repentance is an active posture of surrendering to God, his will, his ways, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That means in my heart as well. Do we have this active posture? Or do we just show on the surface like we've got it all together? The church in Sardis, Jesus said, you need to wake up. And the way that you do that is to remember what you've received and heard. Keep what you've received and heard and repent. Remember it, keep it, hold it close, observe it, repent, turn around and return to him. 
Jesus warned the church at Sardis with these difficult, challenging words. And I wonder today if he would have similar words for us. I wonder today if he would have similar words for us as individuals and us as a corporate body. Well, Jared, why are you saying that? Is that like something that's been on your heart for a while? You know, like you've been noticing me like, no. I'm saying that because I believe that God gave me this passage for you today and I can't see inside of your heart and your life. And to be honest, some things look really good on the surface and we just trust it. But I know the one that knows you. I know the one that isn't confused by the rep. And I know that he wants to lead us to life. And he's telling us how to get there. But Jared, it's not based on my ability. What, what happened to the grace stuff? You know, you didn't even mention that word yet. You're right, it's not. It's not based on our ability. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. This is familiar, hopefully. And you, Paul writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Dead, out, unable to move, unable to speak, unable to work, unable to get anywhere on your own. Okay, dead. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved you and me and us, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. By grace. There was a point when you were dead and you couldn't do it on your own and you needed something to intervene and just so happens to you that there is one who made it all and sustains it all, who knew it all from the beginning and the plan from the start is for that but to be there and that but that we read in verse four seems like a course correction for us, seems like a different part of the plan but to God that but is simply the plan. I was always gonna be here I was always going to intervene. I was always going to pour out my mercy on you. I was always going to use my kindness to lead you to repentance. Remember what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. I'm worth it. This is the revival that we need. This life he made us alive in Christ Jesus. This is the revival we need. Remember this, keep this, and repent. So here, here we are at 
most likely one of the worst years of our lifetime, most of our lifetime, some of our lifetime. I don't know how old you are, but. And it's time for a U-turn. How do I know it's time for a U-turn? Because it's always time for a U-turn. But especially now, I just, I know it. Because we've been struggling for a long time. At the beginning of all this, we were laughing when they said six weeks we would be at home, you know? Six weeks and then we'll be back to normal. We were like, six weeks? That's a really long time. You're crazy. Been a lot longer than six weeks. I don't even know how long it's been. Jared, you want us to go back? There are things to be remembered and there are things to be forgotten. But what we remember today is the word, what you have received and what you've heard, what God has done and what God is doing. And we keep that and we repent and we return to it. And in his economy, it's, this is not in the notes. We'll see how it comes out. In his economy, when we do a U-turn, it's not like on the highway where we get lost and we spin around. It may feel like that to you. It may feel like that to me because I don't know the way and I like to know the way. So it's really hard to keep doing these U-turns because when I do the U-turn, I feel like I'm going a different direction. I'm not progressing in a way, but God is leading at that point because he knows where I'm going. And this is important for you to relinquish control. Who is on the throne of your heart? We laugh at the song. I actually loved it, if I'm honest. Jesus, take the wheel. Who is on the throne? It's time for a U-turn, not back to where we were this year, but back to being satisfied in the presence of God, back to treasuring his word, back to surrendering to Jesus and him only. We don't have to bow to idols, Abby just said that. It's beautiful. Surrendering to him, treasuring his word, being satisfied in his presence. So where do we start? Where do we start today? As we lean into a new year where we're about to begin, where do we start? We start on our knees. And so in just a few minutes, I'm going to open up this altar. I'm going to stop talking and the altar is going to be open. But I want you to know that the altar is just symbolism. There's nothing special about coming up here other than you stepping out in obedience and literally stepping towards God. And so we open this up not because if you come here, you might get sprinkled with something good. It's not a transaction type of thing. If you come, then this will happen. That's not what this is. But we open this up because it's an opportunity to step. And God has given us that opportunity and he's commanded us to take steps toward him. Well, Jared, he's everywhere and he's all in this place. And what happened to my body is the temple. That's the truth. And we are called to step. 
So this altar's open. And my challenge for us today, individually and as a church, is to start this year, end the year, whatever, start the year, in a place of surrender on our knees. What are those things that we need to leave behind? What are those things that we need to repent from and to a U-turn from and move towards Him, return towards Him and His presence and His Word and His love? What are those things that we need to lay down today? I wanna challenge you to get on your knees before Him. Lay them at His feet. Lay them at the cross. Surrender them there and look to Him. Forget it and look to Him. He said, I have cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. I've covered your sin by my blood. What was crimson is now white as snow because of the blood of Jesus. Lay it down today. Let it be washed and forgotten. Cast away. We start on our knees because that's where the soil is tilled. My grandfather was a gardener and he used to till the soil. And he would ask me to help him because it was so important. And we had this little walk behind thing that was really effective at tilling the soil. And when I look back on it, it was really low tech, but it was really effective because it was tilling up the soil. Boom, 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 boom. Just pushing it. Hey, slow down, Jared, slow down. We gotta till the soil. We gotta get down there and see that rock that we didn't see. And we wouldn't have known that it was there if we wouldn't have slowed down to till the soil. And we wouldn't have seen it unless we were close enough to it. We have to start in a place of humility and surrender looking into the mirror of the Word of God and saying, show me the rocks. Convict me. Wash me so that I may be clean. We're going to start the year on our knees. And this moment is just for you and God. I, don't, I, I hope that you can remove some distractions Maybe it is in your seat. I'm not gonna tell you to, to get up and move if you, if you can't. Maybe you can't get on your knees. That's between you and God too. That's all right. But if your heart is stirred today and you know that you know that you know what you need to lay down and turn from, I pray that you come today and lay it down. Remember, keep, and repent. Father God in heaven, we are here for you and you only. And God, I ask right now that you would give us boldness to respond, that you would give us humility in this moment to be able to, to not be distracted by what other people think of us, to not hold back the tears because somebody might see 
to not, would you not, would you not let us stay in our seat because we're worried about what somebody will think, God, but would you give us boldness to move right now? I pray all across this place, if there's somebody that needs to respond to the move on their heart that you have put there by the power of your spirit, that they would do so now, that they would have boldness to move now, that they would lay down what's been chaining them back and they would turn towards you now. Father, because I know that you meet them with grace. That you don't meet them with a backhand, but you meet them with grace. I pray for that grace now to wash over this place. In Jesus' name.